Well, if you'll keep your Bibles open and turn over now to the New Testament, the book of Titus. The book of Titus. We find ourselves uh, this morning introducing uh, Titus chapter 3. The first two verses of Titus chapter 3. If you're visiting with us, it is our normal uh, procedure to pick books of the Bible and just preach through them. Uh, We call it expositional preaching. Uh, verse-by-verse preaching so that we might proclaim the whole counsel of God uh, unto the people of God. And and here uh, in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we are continuing this idea that Paul has established all the way back in chapter 1. He has given us these exhaustive lists and characteristics of the people of God so that they might be what we have called living demonstrations of God's grace, mercy, and favor to a lost and a dying world. If you haven't been with us as we've been journeying through this letter, uh, we know that the Apostle Paul has now commissioned his disciple Titus to go throughout the island of Crete. Go throughout that whole entire island, 160 miles, with 156 provinces and to plant a new church, a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church in each one of those provinces or each one of those cities. And so Titus has a tall task before him. But Paul establishes very quickly here that it's through the idea of church planting that we actually revolutionize or reform a land. And there's something to be said about that in and of itself that the way in which we will see revival in the land is by planting gospel-preaching, gospel-believing churches. What, what the world needs, what our country needs, what our state needs, what our community needs is the gospel to be proclaimed because we know, as our confession says, that it's through, especially through the preaching of God's Word that He draws sinners unto Himself. And so that's where Paul starts. He starts in his letter to Titus. You're going to go and plant churches in all these cities. You're going to appoint for yourself leadership, elders within those churches. And then you're going to start preaching, Titus. And you're going to preach Christ and Him crucified. And let me tell you the way in which this will impact the world. You will begin to produce in your churches these mature Christian believers who are all about living out holiness in all of their spheres of influence, no matter it be employers or employees, no matter it be husbands, wives, no matter it be younger generations or older generations, fathers, mothers, no matter what situation, no matter what season of life you're in, the Gospel begins to transform the way that you live out your life for the glory of Christ. And so Paul has been specifically looking at different sexes, different age groups, different generations, different jobs within the church, jobs outside of the church. But here in verses 1 and 2, he really begins to uh, finish up, if you will, all of these characterizations of the godly people. And he writes here in verses 1 and 2 something that matters, something that is addressed to each and every one of us. And it's our submission and obedience to the civil authorities. That is what comes before us 
uh, this morning in verses 1 and 2. And so I want to read these two verses, and then we'll expound them together. Again, hear the Word of God, people of God. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Well, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. You know, oftentimes I'm asked if I would give some sort of diagnostic to the state in which our world is in. Uh, and I always do that with a little bit of fear and trembling. But, but I'm always reminded when I'm asked that question, the famous lines from Charles Dickens, as he says, it was the best of times and it was also the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, but it was also the age of foolishness. It was the Epcot of belief, but also the Epcot of uh, silliness or incredulity. It was the season of light, and yet it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and yet it was also the winter of despair. We had everything before us, Charles Dickens says, and yet we had nothing before us. Um, if you think about the way in which Charles Dickens writes that, uh, you can celebrate the many great things that has happened within our culture and within our world within our nation and we should offer thanksgivings for it right we have seen great technological advances i mean we have a private sector space race going on in our country right now if you would have asked even me that you know 15 years ago i would have said you were crazy we've had medical achievements beyond anything that we could ever imagine uh, one of the greatest perks i think of our culture is that we can have education at our fingertips Literally, degrees being uh, finished online and granted through distance learning. Uh, we, we have some of the broadest minds that we've ever seen in our world. And so those are the best of times, aren't they? But also, we have the worst of times. We have political chaos and confusion. We have social unrest, and the list could go on and on and on about those things. But that's the, that's the landscape, the social landscape, we might say. Well, what about the, the spiritual matters? Well, it sure seems grim, doesn't it, when we begin to focus upon spiritual things. We can celebrate the advancements of technology as in it can put your Bible on your cell phones. We, we can celebrate technological advances where uh, we can... Uh, hear God's Word read to us over our car radios. We, we can think about how education, meaning Christian education, is at our fingertips and even provided for free from many universities and colleges throughout our nation where we can deeply study the Scriptures on an individual basis. And you think, boy, this is the greatest of times. And yet, spiritually speaking, it seems that we might also say, along with Charles Dickens, that it's the worst of times. Even in our country, we have an ever-growing number of people who are scoffing at Christians. Our faith is looked at as hate, narrow-mindedness. What God has called evil in His Word is paraded in the streets before our eyes. And spiritually, things seem 
pretty grim. Well, if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of Titus and he begins to look over the island of Crete, things would look grim to him as well. You see, the ideas of sin, idolatry, chaos can only be spoken about our culture, but it can also be spoken about the society which is the island of Crete there in the Mediterranean. And to combat against the evilness and the wickedness that moves about this island of Crete, the Apostle Paul says that we need a people of God who are serious about the Word of God. We need all ages reflecting, demonstrating God's grace to a lost and a dying world. And the way in which he pinpoints that we do this in our text this morning is that we understand that we ought to be good citizens of these earthly dominions in which we inhabit it. You know, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday nights during our prayer meeting service, and we have often reminded ourselves that first and foremost, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We belong first and foremost to Christ and, and His dominion. And yet, God has put us, as Esther says, in such a time as this, in the United States of America, in the state of South Carolina, in the community of Dillon, and we ought to be living demonstrations of God's grace and mercy to these communities, to this state, to this nation in which we live. And you say, well, Matt, that's quite easy for us to think about when we live in the free country of the United States of America. And yet, Paul writes, not under the freedom of an empire, he actually writes to Titus in this island of Crete to a small island under the dominion of the Roman Empire. And at this time in which Paul writes, he is writing as the emperor is Nero. And if you know anything about history or, or church history, you will know that Nero is, is a sick and depraved individual. He is a wicked, wicked, wicked man. He, he is so perverted in his mind that he uh, uses Christians because he despises Christians in such a way as torches for his gatherings around the capital. He would dip them in wax, set them on a stake, and light them afire to give light to the dance floors, we might say. And Paul writes these words in verses 1 and 2 in that sort of environment, under that sort of leadership. And he says very clearly and rightly to be submissive to the rulers and the authorities to be obedient unto them. And why would he write such a thing? Because Paul understands that God is the one who ordains authority. That God is the one that accomplishes His purposes throughout the earthly leadership that He brings into power. You can think about how God works in the politics, you might say, as you read the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. And God sovereignly works through the king Cyrus. And even though Cyrus is the emperor of the empire of Medo-Persia, God works in Cyrus to tell him and to alleviate 
the persecution of God's people. So much so that Cyrus will allow many of God's people to return out of exile back to Jerusalem. You see, God ordains the leadership of Cyrus so that the people of God might return home. Or you could think about Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar with the empire of Babylon. And you remember that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this huge statue of himself and all of the different body parts are made up of different materials. And all of a sudden, in this nightmare of Nebuchadnezzar, this huge rolling stone comes down the mountain and and crushes him. And he asks Daniel, ultimately, what is the meaning of this dream? What is the meaning of this nightmare? And Daniel says, well, Nebuchadnezzar, you sit upon the throne of Babylon because God has put you there. And what God is telling you in his nightmare, he is going to remove you as well. You see, God works within the political scheme, in the civil sphere. He ordains, as Scripture tells us, leaders amongst us and above us. And we must be reminded as God's people that we have to be submissive and obedient to them. I've often said that I think that our Westminster Confession is one that holds up the idea of a civil magistrate above all in other denominations. Because not only in chapter 23 of our Westminster Confession of Faith, you can look at it if you want to on page 933 of our hymn books, but not only does it say that it's lawful and good for Christians to be in offices of the magistrate, it actually encourages believers to be in the civil sphere. Why is that so? Because we want Christian men and women leading us, right? But in Section 1 of chapter 23, it says that God is the supreme Lord and King of all the world, and He has ordained civil magistrates to be first under Him and then over the people for His own glory and the public good. And so Paul's wanting to remind these believers, he wants to remind Titus, in the island of Crete, you are to... You are to be a people of God that is mature in such a way that when it comes to the rulers and authorities of this world, you will be submissive and obedient. You will be ready for every good work to be a valuable citizen of your community, your state, your nation. You are not going to speak evil of these people or even avoid, avoid, or even you ought to avoid quarreling about these things. But you are to be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all the people. You see, what God is establishing here in His Word in verses 1 and 2 is that God's people have a responsibility to willingly submit ourselves to and be subject to government officials and laws. And and that is emphasized for us in other writings of the Apostle Paul, writings... Romans 13, 1-7, or even by the Apostle Peter. And I want to flip there just for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17. through It would be helpful if I moved out of 2 Peter chapter 2. And went to verses 13 and 17. Listen to this. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you shall, or you should, put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. You see, all of these writings from the Apostle Paul and from the Apostle Peter, all of these things are coming on the heels of, of what? Well, the, the wrong accusations and murders of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was the accusations against Him? From the Jews, it was that He was blaspheming, that He was claiming to be God. But for the Roman officials, it was what? He is causing anarchy. He is leading a rebellion. He, he's trying to revolutionize and boycott the Roman Empire. And, and he wasn't, was he? And so the message here for the people of God is to be like your God, to be like Christ. And to humbly and faithfully live about this world, giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, you remember what Jesus says. But to give to God what is God's. And that causes us to think about the exception to the rule here that's being established in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Because there's an exception here. And most of y'all probably know where I'm going with this exception, but if the government ever demands or asks or makes law to something that would require us to disobey God, in that case, we do not submit we are first, remember, kingdoms, kingdom citizens of Christ. And then we are citizens of this world. And so if the government begins to act in defiance to God's Word and God's law, we must refuse to honor man, but to honor and glorify the Lord. And we see this as well throughout the Scriptures. We think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as they were commanded after that nightmare in which Nebuchadnezzar had of the statue, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a statue. Doesn't sound like a good idea, does it? But he makes a statue of himself out of gold and it says that it's so large and, and it shines so brightly that, that people have to turn away as they're descending into the valley as commanded by the king. And the king says, when you hear the trumpets blow and when you hear the drums beat, you are to fall on your face and worship who? Me. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this valley of worshipers, they stand in defiance of the king. Why? Because the command for the Christians is to worship God. It's to worship God. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow a knee. You think about Daniel. And you think about when the king, Darius, makes a law that no man will pray to anyone but him as the king. What does Daniel do? Does he stop praying? Does he stop praying to his God? No, he does what he has always done. And three times a day, there in the window of his home, he bows a knee and prays to the Almighty God, Jehovah. And you think about Peter, John, all the apostles throughout the New Testament, what are they to do when the, when the government tells them that they are to stop preaching Christ? 
Are they to put their tail between their legs, so to speak, and go home? No, they are to continue to preach Christ. But you notice something, don't you? These three men, they don't try to lead some political revolt, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Daniel doesn't go bursting through in the city square to pray. No, he just returns to his prayer closet. Peter, James, John, all the apostles, are they trying to lead some sort of revolt of the Roman Empire? No, they just faithfully go about their business, don't they? And Peter and John, they return straight back to the synagogues and they begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ yet again. And that is what the way of Christ is when it comes to obeying and being submissive to the rulers and authorities. We are to model Christ. We are to demonstrate Christ's likeness in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we even debate, in the way that we even protest. You know, our, our government has established means, civil means in which we can protest decisions in which we disagree with, but we are always to do it, reflecting God's grace and favor upon us. And you say, well, Matt, how in the world do we do that? Well, it demands, beloved, that we seek out the wisdom of God, but that we take seriously God's Word here, that we are to be submissive and obedient, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, that we must be ready for every good work. We are to be good, faithful citizens of our community, our state, our nation, that we are not to speak evil, And we're not to quarrel, but we are to be gentle as Christ is gentle and show courtesy to all people because we are called to love them. We're called to love them, aren't we? You know, we aren't only are called to love one another in the local church or love our husbands and our wives and our children, but Jesus even calls us to love our enemies. And when it comes to the political sphere, oftentimes people come across as enemies, don't they? But in God's wisdom, under the authority of His Word, we're commanded to bring glory to Christ. And isn't that our chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that means even as faithful citizens of this world, we are to, full of joy, walk in His ways, be living demonstrations of His glory and grace. Might we, as the Apostle Paul says, might we adorn the gospel of God by our daily living. That's what he says in verse 10. May it be so. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to your word for a few moments. And we pray, Lord, that uh, it would go with us, that it would encourage us where it ought to encourage us, convict us where it ought to convict us. Make us wise, Lord, in the way in which we conduct ourselves in our communities, our state and our nation. Let us model, demonstrate Christ in Christ-likeness, in the way that we submit and obey, in the way that we speak and act, in the way that we uh, even disagree. May we uh, demonstrate God's grace and favor so that we might adorn the gospel of God as commanded here in your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.